Well, good morning. So, as Mark said, we are starting a new series called Surrendered, and we're going to take three really, we could, we could probably do more than three, but we're going to take three topics. Uh, we're going to talk about just this, this idea of doubt, this today, and then next weekend we're going to talk about fear, and then we're going to talk about anxiety. So we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about these three topics. Like I said, we could talk, we could choose more, but um, we're just going to spend three weeks. And so if you're uh, here today, you picked a good day to come. If you're joining us online, great opportunity for you to kind of maybe wrestle with these things because that's what we're all doing. We're all wrestling. And so uh, as we tackle this thing called doubt, Um, I just want to begin and say that every one of us deals, struggles with, wrestles with doubt. Doubt is a part of the Christian life. Um, If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to struggle with doubt. And I want to read a quote. I think it's it's a great quote. And to me, it was very helpful as I was thinking through this. It's from Tim Keller, and he says this. A faith without some doubts is like the human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe, as they do, will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of of tragedy or the prolonging questions of a smart skeptic, a person's faith can collapse, excuse me, almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. And I think what Keller is saying is really important, that wrestling with doubts is a natural, normal part of life. And we should wrestle with doubt, because when we wrestle with doubt, it's an opportunity for our faith to grow. There's a number of questions that we often need to wrestle with, and maybe you've wrestled with some of these questions. For instance, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? You've heard that question. Maybe you've thought it. Maybe you've asked it. Maybe you have friends or family members that say, that's the major question I struggle with. Why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Or maybe, um, why does a good God send good people to hell? Why would God do something like that? Why would I trust a God, or why would I put my faith in a God who would do that? Or, why is it Christianity more inclusive? Why does it have to be so exclusive? Why do you say that there's only one way to God? Why isn't there multiple ways to God? That seems pretty inclusive. Uh, Or, you know, one that... uh, I kind of was uh, talking to somebody recently about is, and essentially what it came down to, their, their, their question was, can I trust the Bible? Can I really trust it? Wasn't it written by men? What, isn't it possible there's all these errors and contradictions in the Bible? Why should I trust the Bible? Um, here's the thing. These are all really valid questions and really important questions to answer. Now, some of you are thinking, are we going to talk about those today? <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> we're not going to talk about them today because we don't have time. But those are questions that we ought to wrestle with. Here's the point. Having doubts is a normal part of the Christian life. Being paralyzed by doubts is not. 
And so we're going to talk about how can we move through doubts and grow our faith, because that's what we want to do today. So three lessons we're going to learn. And if you would, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. So the first story we're going to look at, many of you will be familiar with it. Um, it's, it's like this iconic story that everybody who has ever read the Bible or gone through it a little bit or been in church at any time has heard this story. But there's another one that follows it that is tied, I think, I, I don't think these uh, gospel writers wrote randomly and put just through stories together. There was a reason these two stories are tied together. And the, the second story, I don't think you've ever probably, you know, some of you have never heard it before maybe before. But there's a statement in there from a father that I love so much. It's such a great statement. But let's look at the first story that you probably are familiar with. Mark chapter 9. Let me start reading at verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a mountain, a high mountain, where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Um, and there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were, with, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then in verse 6, some of your Bibles will have this in parentheses, and, and Mark is basically telling you, kind of, this is what Peter was thinking. <laughs> he did not know what to say because they were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared, and, you know, so they'll picture this. Let's just stop for a minute. So they're on this mountain, and Jesus meets these two old, first he turns into something whiter than the whitest, you know, the whiter that you could get it. He transfigured. You say, what is that? I don't know what it was. It was something incredible. It was powerful. It was awesome. And then, not just that, but now two Old Testament heroes show up, and, and Jesus is having a conversation with them. And Peter, James, and John are beside themselves. They don't know what to do with all of this. And Peter says, well, let's make up tents. Let's, you know, let's camp. This seems like a great idea. And uh, then, if that weren't enough... Verse 7, then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Now you talk about having a mountaintop experience. And this is, you know when people say it literally was this and they're not really right with it? No, this literally was a mountaintop experience. It was like the best. It, you couldn't get a better experience than that, I don't think. And here's the first lesson we need to take from this. Your faith journey will not be the same as others. And you often, we often do, you do this, don't we? We compare our faith journey with other people. I am assuming, and I, I think I'm right, some of you have walked with Jesus for many, many years. Some of you are new to this. You just are starting to walk with Jesus. And, you know, you just kind of look at, and you're just learning. Some of you may be at a place where you say, I don't even know if I've taken that first step with Jesus on a journey. Because I have doubts. 
And I, I don't even know if I want to take that first step. So we're all at different places. We're all at different places. But what we do is we tend to compare ourselves to others. We think things like, well, they prayed and they got their prayer request. So if, why didn't God give me? Because my prayer request was similar to theirs. Does God love them more than he loves me? Now, I have five, five brothers. And we used to always play this game with my parents. We always play this game of, you know, you do this for him. Why don't you do it for me? You, why does he get to do this and I don't get to do You know, if you're a parent, you've, you've had these, you know, your kids come to you with this. And what is, you know, what are you thinking? You're thinking, well, you're not his age. And, you know, there's reasons why you do this. You discriminate between your, and I don't mean in a negative way, but you discriminate between your kids because of their age, because of their abilities and different things like that. In other words, the point is, my relationship with my parents was the same. It was similar to my brother's, but it was different. And the same is our relationship with God. Your faith journey is going to be different. You can't assume and here's the other thing. We assume sometimes they don't struggle with the same thing that I struggle with. I struggle with fear. I struggle with doubt. I struggle with worry. Okay. You don't think that they do? You might ha- want to have a conversation with them because you may f- be surprised. Here's the thing. They're on a journey like you, and there's parallels, but there's their journey is different than yours Don't compare your journey, your faith journey to theirs. It's different, and it's okay for it to be different. God deals with you uniquely, and your journey is going to be fundamentally different than their journey. So here's what I want you to think about. Who went up on the mountain? All the disciples? There were 12 last time I checked. No? Peter? James and John, just three of them. They were the only ones that went up on the mountain that had that mountaintop experience. Because here's the thing, not everybody gets to go up on the mountain. Not everybody gets to go up on the mountain. Jesus only took those three disciples with him, Peter, James, and John. And more than that, now what would you do if if Jesus took you up on the mountain? And you experienced the glory of Jesus. You saw the Old Testament heroes. You heard the voice of God. <laughs> I mean, you had this experience. What would be one of the first things you might do when you went down, back down to earth, to be with the rest of the disciples? Yep, 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 up, up on the mountain there with Jesus. Oh, did I say there were, you know, he was glowing? Like, like you've, yeah, I, you had to be there. And, oh, by the way, a couple Old Testament saints showed up. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, yeah, I chatted with them a little bit. Yeah, we were, we were talking about building a tent, staying there for a while, but Jesus said, no. Nah. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, oh, it's crazy. I wish I could describe it to you. I wish I could tell you how deeply it moved me and how it changed my life forever. I mean, it was, yeah, it was beyond, it was that's what I would do. I'd brag about it. But you know what? If you read Matthew, write this reference down, Matthew chapter 17, verse 9, Jesus said to the disciples, Peter, James, and John, tell no one, tell no one what you just saw. 
tell no one what you just experienced. Now, why would Jesus do that? Because he would go down and start bragging about that and start thinking, Jesus loves me more than he loves you. Have you been up on the mountain? I have. You see, when we start to compare ourselves with other people, we run into real problems there, don't we? Because not everybody gets to go up on the mountain. All right, jump down to verse 14. I want to jump in there for a minute. So they have this mountaintop experience. It was awesome. And we use the word awesome all the time, but this really was awesome. Verse 14, look at what happens. They come down from the mountain, and immediately there's this thing going on. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about, Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Verse 20, so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming it at the mouth. Now let's just stop there. Most people would look at that and say, he's having a physical reaction here. There's something physically wrong, which there may be. But there's more going on here. This is a spiritual power encounter. This is the powers of evil versus the powers of good. This is the power of heaven versus the power of hell. Now, most people that day didn't understand that as well as today. But there is a battle going on today. There are powers that are battling against one another. And Jesus was able to see beyond the veil that there was a spiritual battle going on in, for the life of this boy. Right there in the midst of them. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has, this been, has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into, into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for, the one, who, for one who believes. Immediately, this is the phrase I love. <laughs> when I first read this a number, a number of years ago, I said, man, I love this guy. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. How do you believe and unbelieve at the same time? Yes. That's right. You, you, you understand that now. So how does the story of the mountain and the story of the father who believes but help my unbelief, how do they fit together? Okay, so if you were to, on a scale of 1 to 10, being 1 means I am just full of doubt, 10 being I'm full of faith. I have very, virtually no doubt. 
One is I've virtually no faith. Where would you, where would you put uh, the boy's father's faith? This boy has been like this since he's been born. The, 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 the demon throws him, causes him to jump into a fire or drown himself. He convulses. He foams at the mouth. He's he just been this way his whole life. And the father brings him to the disciples as a last chance, and they can't help him. So he comes to Jesus. Jesus comes to him, and, and, and Jesus gets it. So where, where is this man's faith? I believe, but help my unbelief. Two? Three, maybe? I mean, he's lived with this kid his whole life. He doesn't know Jesus. He's already seen his disciples fail. Two or three? Maybe we give him a four? All right, where was the faith of Peter, James, and John? You just went on the mountain. You just saw Jesus glow like, a, like no, not, nothing else, like the North Star. You've seen the, him talking to Old Testament heroes. You've heard the voice of the Father from heaven. Where are you at there? Nine? Ten? Eleven? Twelve? Yeah, the scale doesn't go that high, right? But you get my point. So who has faith? They both do. But they're very different, aren't they? They're very different. And that brings us to the second point. Your faith doesn't need to be perfect to believe. Whether this man had a faith of 1 or 0.5 doesn't matter because Jesus is going to heal his son. And this faith that's eight or nine now is going to be a faith that's going to deny Jesus how many times? Not one, not two, three times. See, often we feel that unless our faith is fully developed, we don't have any faith. We think, well, my faith is, is, is I, I have good days and I have bad days. And I, if I'm honest, I'll say I have more bad days than good days, so therefore I guess I don't have faith. Have you thought that? Have you felt like, well, you know, I have so many doubts going on right now, and, and, and I, my faith just seems so small, and I just want to give a disclaimer for, for, for just a minute or two as we go into this series. We all struggle to some degree with doubt. We struggle with fear. We struggle with anxiety. There's other things we struggle with. And no one is immune and no one has it figured out. No matter what they say, they're lying. And we all use different tools, right, to cope, to deal with them, to, to navigate these challenges. And they may include things like, well, counseling. We go to counseling. Maybe we go and we take medication because our doctor says this will even you out so that you can function. We, we look for support networks of family and friends to help us when we're struggling. The point is we all need help. And there's no shame in asking for help. And there's no shame from getting help. And there's no shame from visiting a counselor. And there's no shame from taking medication. Because sometimes that's what evens your life out so that you can use the other tools that God has given you to have victory. Here's the thing. When we use the tools that God has given us, whether it's medical tools, whether it's having counseling, whether it's taking medication, whether it's surrounding ourselves with friends and family, whether, whatever it is, 
we have other tools that God has given us. He's given us things like his word. He's given us his church. He's given us the presence, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. All these other things too. The point I want you to see here is that we all struggle. And just because you don't see another person struggling doesn't mean they aren't struggling just like you. How many people do you know in the last few years who may have taken their lives and you thought, I didn't even know they were struggling? We all struggle. Let's be honest with it. We all struggle. And if you have to take medication or go to counseling, then you should do it. If you need to be part of a support group, you should be part of that group. Now, let me ask you a question as we move through this. Sometimes we ask the question, do I have enough faith? I mean, how much faith is enough? Is two or three enough? Do I need to be four or five or six or seven before I have enough faith? Some people believe that unless I have enough faith, that God won't accept me. And I want to say something. I want to, I'm going to say it twice just so you hear it. God doesn't accept you based upon the level of your faith. He accepts you based upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Let me say it one more time. God does not accept you based upon the level of your faith. It is based upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for you. Let that sink in for a minute or two. Understand that he accepts you not because you've mustered up some great faith, but because Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth and he climbed up on a cross and he gave his life for you. That's why God accepts you. So you may not have a lot of faith. You may be like the Father and says, I believe, but help my unbelief to Jesus. And you know what? That's a great, great prayer. Because you know what? Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Let me ask you a question. Did any people in the Bible ever doubt? I could think of a few. How about Abraham? Yep. How about Moses? Yep. How about David? Yep. Um, how about Mary, the mother of Jesus? Yes. I could show you a couple of examples there. How about John the Baptist? Remember, he's the forerunner of Jesus. Well, there was a time where John was in prison, and he's, he's like, <laughs> hair is about ready to take his head off, literally does. And um, John sends his uh, his people and asked Jesus, are you the one? So he had doubts. How about Mary and Martha, Jesus' friends, when Lazarus dies and they come out and Jesus says, uh, you know, I'm the resurrection and life. She goes, they go, I know, you know, one day he will rise. She goes, no, I'm the resurrection. I'm the one who gives life. How about Thomas? He's the one that we always think of, right? Thomas? So Jesus, he, he rises and he appears to many of the disciples, but Thomas isn't there. And, and they go, we saw the Lord. And you go, well, I don't believe you. It, isn't it funny? You know, you go to the resurrection and you go to the tomb. The women go to the tomb. The tomb's empty. They come back, say the tomb's empty. And they go, you're nuts. And so Peter and John run to the tomb and say, well, it's empty. Yeah, that's what they said a minute ago, right? 
And then Jesus appears before all of them, and they go, oh, it's you, Jesus, wow, cool. And they tell Thomas, and Thomas goes, I don't believe that. And then Jesus comes and appears before Thomas, and Thomas goes, oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, all right. <laughs> um, when you, when you, here's, here's the problem. We think, we, we think of Hebrews chapter 11, which lists the heroes of the faith, some of the Old Testament heroes that I just listed, right? And we think they had perfect faith, not like my faith. Again, we compare ourselves to Bible characters and say, well, I'm not like them. Why can't I be like them? Why can't I believe like them? Why can't I do things like them? And it's because you're not them. <laughs> That's really what it comes down to. But essentially, here's the thing. When you think of their lives, don't think of, the, the, because we often think, well, they never had doubts. Their faith was just always going up, 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 up. No. Their faith was like just like yours, just like mine. They had doubts, they struggled, but their lifetime was characterized. The direction of their life, the path of their life was characterized by faith. Okay? So, I love this father's statement because it's a statement of faith over doubt. He says, I want to believe, I'm trying to believe, but I still have doubts. Why wouldn't you? Your son's been that way your, this whole life. The disciples don't seemingly can't help. Here's the thing. Real faith teaches us to say, I'm in trouble. I need help. I don't have it all figured out. I have real doubts. And Jesus can take doubt like that and do amazing things with it. You see, we don't access God's help through our own holiness. It's not like we have to be like perfectly perfect in our faith and all of that. We access God's help through our own helplessness. And this man came to him and said, I am a broken man. I am a hurting father. I need help. Whatever faith I have, I'm placing it in you, Jesus. It was whatever it was. Remember the two thieves that were crucified on either side of Jesus? It said that finally one of the thieves said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, Oh, I wish you had gone to church. I wish you had been baptized. I wish you had studied the Bible a little bit, at least the Old Testament, because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. But I wish you... No, what does he say? What does he say? What kind of faith does he have? He, he just met Jesus, and it wasn't kind of the way you want to meet somebody. Hanging on a cross, being crucified, Right? And what did, he, what did Jesus say when he said, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom? What did Jesus say? You don't have enough faith. No. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. What, did, what was the, the criminal saying that the other criminal wasn't? Jesus, I'm in trouble. Jesus, I have no hope. You're my last chance. I tr I'm trusting you with whatever I have. 
I may have my doubts, but I also am placing my trust in you. All right, here's the third thing. Placing your faith in Jesus may not make your life better. (laughs) Oftentimes we think, well, if I just place my faith in Jesus, then my problems will go away and things will get better and life will get easier. And I don't know where you heard that. You didn't read it in Scripture because Scripture says in the world we have tribulation. If you follow the lives of the disciples, they were all kind of executed. John the Baptist had his head taken off. Um, John is the only one we know, and he was in prison on an island. We don't know how he, he, his life ended. The early Christians were all persecuted. They were lit on fire, uh, you know, to light the city sometimes. They were thrown in the lions with the lions to be uh, entertainment for the people around them. What does Jesus say? And this is really important for you to hear this. Too many Christians have walked away because they have somehow assumed or they've been told that when they give their life to Jesus, that their life will, he'll answer all their prayers. He'll give them what they want. They won't have any more problems. Um, and, and life will just be better. Look at verse 26. When Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. Again, this is that power spiritual battle. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter again. I just want to stop for a minute because um, we have a, we do a, Carol and I do a Bible study with some teachers um, on a week, uh, every week. And one of the things I pray for, for every, at the end of every time we meet together is I pray that God would put a hedge of protection around the schools keep the kids safe, keep the teachers safe, that uh, they would be a safe place, all the schools, all the places where the kids are. And I get that from Job chapter 1 and 2, and, and Jesus is kind of doing that with the kid, because he says to the demon, he says, you come out of him and you can never go in. There's a barrier there now, there's a hedge, you can't go past there. And I want you to see this, that, that God never promises that when you give your life to him, Jesus never says when you give your life to me, all your problems will go away. What does he say? He says in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the valley, I will be with you. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why won't I fear no evil? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Jesus doesn't promise that you won't go through storms. He does promise that in the midst of the storm, he will be there with you. Let's go on. Verse 26, the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that they said, he's dead. Now think about this for a minute. You're the father. This, your boy's been this way the whole time. The, the disciples have tried to help and they can't help. Now Jesus tries to help. And, and the, he gives out this loud shriek. He foams at the mouth. He falls on the ground and everybody says, well, you killed him. Can you imagine what the father was thinking at that moment? I didn't think it could get any worse. But it just did. Verse 27. 
But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And Jesus, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Demon comes out, foams at the mouth. Things don't get better right away, do they? The kid, literally, everybody thinks he's dead. The father brings his beloved son to Jesus. He's Jesus' is only hope. And Jesus kills him. Whatever faith he had must be really, really low right now. But reach, Jesus reaches out his hand, lifts the boy up. The boy is completely healed in his right mind. Here's my point. When you place your faith in Jesus, don't assume that everything will work out the way you desire or want. It won't. So I was thinking about, well, how do we deal with doubt? Because, see, here's what I think, and I'll close with this, this idea. Doubt is a necessary part of the Christian life. We're always going to struggle with doubt this side of heaven. But we don't have to be paralyzed by doubt. In fact, doubt is a way for us to grow our faith, if we'll take the time to learn. So, for instance, uh, one of the things we have on the, the life group guides this week, and if you just go to the website for the sermon, you'll, you can get a PDF file. I put some resources on there, because some of you may say, well, is there a good book that I can read? Because I have some of the questions, uh, some of the questions you ask. I would like to investigate that. I would like to explore that. Because here's the thing. When you start to explore your doubts and, and challenge your doubts and learn, it grows your faith. In other words, when you push back, and that's what Keller is saying at the beginning, when you, you push back on your doubts, when you, put, you, you get more information, when you get if, you know, help on that and get your questions answered, because I want to say this, for every question that I wrote, raised at the beginning, there is a good answer for that, a good, healthy, helpful answer to that. And there are many other questions that people have. And there's good answers. But if you do not take the time to wrestle with those and find the resources that will help you with them, you will not allow your faith to grow. That's how your faith grows, when you wrestle with them. That's the point Keller's making. That's why when tragedy hits or you get a snarky uh, atheist or you know, a professor at a college who gives up some argument that you've never heard before, you go, well, I guess faith's over. Here's what I found. When I'm struggling with a relationship, here's what I find. That the best thing I can do is to sit down with that person and talk with them because a number of things have happened. Number one, communication is broken down. Number two, I'm probably making assumptions. Number three, I probably done something that, that's brought harm to this relationship. And so sitting down and getting the other side of the story, the other perspective, hearing what I may have done, hearing how I didn't hear that correctly, doing all of that is very helpful. In the same way, one of the ways that we deal with doubt is we talk directly to God. That's prayer. Notice what he says to the disciples. He said, this only comes out by prayer. And prayer is talking to God. When you have doubts, talk to God about it. 
Speak to him about it. Say, God, I'm struggling with this. It may be something personal in your life. It may be you prayed about somebody and God didn't give you the answer you wanted or you haven't felt like you haven't heard anything. Talk to him about it. The other thing you can do, and this is on the Life Group Guide this weekend, is rehearse. We're going to sing a song about that in a minute. Rehearse how God has been faithful in the past. Moses did that. David did that. You can read about those in the Psalms. When you're struggling with your faith, talk to God. Express your doubts, your fears. Express your anger and frustration. Talking to God is a good thing. Here's the final thing I want to say to you. Faith is trusting Jesus when he takes you down a road that you don't want to go down. You give Jesus the steering wheel of your life and you say, Jesus, I want you not just to be my Savior, but I want you to be my Lord. And sometimes we take the wheel back, we have to give it back to him. But when we give Jesus the wheel and Jesus starts going down a road we don't want to go down, we have doubts. Faith is saying, Jesus, I struggle with this turn. I struggle with this road. I struggle with this path. But I'm going to trust you because you haven't promised me you won't take me down those dark roads. You promised me that you'll be right alongside of me when I go down those dark roads. And I can deal with that. Maybe your only takeaway today is this, that if you struggle with doubts, that's part of being a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. But you don't have to be paralyzed by it. God has given us incredible tools to use to help us not just survive, but to thrive. Even when Jesus takes you down a dark road. Stand with me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the encouragement we can get from your word. Thank you for the way that... Uh, Doubt is a way for us to grow our faith. Uh, we would ask, Father, that uh, as we go through these times, these darker, harder times, when our, our faith or our, our <laughs> is low, maybe a two or a three, that we would talk to you about it, that we would reflect upon your goodness in our lives in the past, that we would surround ourselves with other people who love us and care for us, that we may even seek out professional help if we need it. But, Father, thank you that you've given us so many tools to help us. And uh, thank you that you have a, a specific plan and a purpose for each and every one of our lives. And so, Father, we trust you. We trust you. We may have doubts. And maybe, maybe the statement we would use today is, Jesus, we trust you. Help our doubts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.